there's someone you should meet. Hello, 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 and welcome back, friends. Thank you again for tuning in. I really cannot say that enough. This stuff is like not short, and you're deciding to take time out of your day to listen, and that's a pretty cool thing. Just know that's not forgotten. You know, if you go to bed at night, you're like, man, I didn't really do much today. Just know that you made my day by listening to this podcast. My guest today, I am super stoked to have. He is going to give us a uh, behind-the-curtain look, if you will, inside the world of NCAA and NBA basketball. He's going to be on staff with some amazing teams, both with Texas A&M and with the Houston Rockets. So he's got you know some of those great Western Conference Finals runs. Um, he was front row. For and uh, some NCAA tournament runs with A&M, he was also there for. And yes, if you are an A&M basketball fan, we do talk about the baptism. If you know, you know. And I must apologize to Mr. Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns. So this interview took place at the beginning of the NBA Finals, which have since finished. The Phoenix Suns were up 2-0 when this interview took place. I gave him some props and maybe maybe gave him some bad misfortune there. So if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, by chance, looking for someone to blame, I can take the bullet there. Anywho, let's start the show. Welcome in, friends. There's someone you should meet. And my guest today, he's been on staff for quite a few memorable basketball teams and moments within the Lone Star State. He began as a grad assistant and head manager at at the Texas A&M back when they were making the NCAA tournament uh, consistently. Um, That was a fun time. Uh, He's journeyed through the James Harden era with the Houston Rockets, and he was on staff for two Western Conference Finals appearances. And most recently, he was an assistant coach at Stephen F. Austin, SFA, the Lumberjacks, uh, where they finished 28-3, and won the Southland Conference, and uh, they had a victory over a little team called Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium when they were no- number one. And, uh, man, well, well, you know, I'll save that for later, but they had a special season in store, and unfortunately, it was cut short by uh, – some some weird event that happened last year. I can't remember what. But uh, more importantly, though most importantly, he is husband to Megan, and he is father to McKinley and Mallory. So please welcome my guest today, the Mitchellvania. Mitch, welcome in. Thank you for having me. And I'm, uh, yeah, I've been excited for this one. Uh, we were chatting earlier, so you're coming to us live from from Idaho. And when I was doing my in-depth research on this, this is not the first time you've been you've been up there. How how did you find the pla- place you're at, or just how did that region of the country? Yeah, um, so come to y'all? Uh, 
It's uh, we're we're in northern Idaho. It's about an hour south of the Canadian border, so we're way up there. My my wife Megan, you just mentioned her. She uh, her grandmother had a house up here or has a house, and uh, so that's how kind of how we discovered it. And it's so when you when you say Idaho to people, they think of potatoes and okay, what's in Idaho? Because not many people <laughs> travel here. Uh, but this little gym, uh, we love it up here because it's in the mountains. Um, this house in particular, uh, it sits on a golf course in between, uh, you know, mountains and a valley. And there's a huge lake right around the corner, a ski resort, like 15 minutes away. Uh, so it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, we, we say it's God's country up here. And so it's kind of, kind of our little getaway. Uh, we come up here most summers, uh, to, to just enjoy family or, or get away. And, uh, we're back up here this summer. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, so I went, I went through the the list of accomplishments that you've been you've been a part of and front row to some incredible incredible sport sporting events and you know you and I go back uh, to the homeland of College Station and you know ba- basketball as long as I've known you just basketball has been a part of your life and just your your ultimate your ultimate passion and it's so cool to see you you know from from then grow, growing up to how you've really pursued, you know, a dream for, for many to get to say you're part of a NCAA program and the, in the NBA. Um, if you could, if you could journey back, you know, back to, you know, graduating high school and going into college, was this the, was this the plan all along? Like I'm going to get connected and then into the coaching world. So how, how did this path uh, develop, develop for you? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned it, uh, basketball is always, I've always had a passion for basketball and those, that know me um, probably have figured that out pretty quickly. Uh, and when I graduated high school, I actually went and played at a Division three school up in Michigan for a couple seasons uh, before I went to AM and was a manager and grad assistant. So going up there uh, and then transferring back, you know, I tell people I ran out of talent pretty quickly, uh, but <laughs> I've always had the passion to, to be around basketball and I love it. And so right at first out of high school, like most kids, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I ended up changing my major a couple of times, um, but eventually got into sports management program at A&M and figured out like, yeah, basketball, why this is absolutely what I want to do. I figured the best route to, to try to get into coaching uh, was to try to volunteer with the team there at A&M and uh, fortunately had that opportunity. So uh, once I got onto A&M, um, a great experience, you know, NCAA tournaments all four years we were there. Uh, was when Mark Turgeon was there, you know, kind of opened my eyes to the college world uh, and was able to learn a ton during that experience. And I still, I look back on it and like, I had no idea about anything with basketball. I was pretty, pretty green. So once I uh, graduated A&M, I uh, was very fortunate, uh, had an opportunity to be an intern with the Houston Rockets um, and started off in their video room doing all kind of like, so when you tell people video room, being on a staff in basketball, both college and the pros, uh, the video room, what they do, it's not like you're behind a camera recording what you see on TV. It's not like that. Uh, but you take the feed and you break it down real basic form, offense, defense, uh, and kind of go from there and start the scouting process with personnel and breaking down plays, opponents, all that kind of thing. So I uh, started off in the video room in Houston and then eventually worked my way to be behind the bench uh, as an assistant coach there and their lead scout. Um, and as you mentioned, some pretty cool experiences being able to, to go to the Western Conference Finals twice. Um, 
And the second time around was when uh, Mike D'Antoni was coached there. And I was uh, basically, like I said, the lead scout. So I was on the defensive side of the ball and I, I helped our associate head coach and a couple of our other assistants with game plan prep and just knowing teams inside and out. Um, I, you could at that time, you know, I'm two years removed now from the NBA, uh, but at that time I knew just about every team's play calls. Um, and so what you do is as I sit behind the bench, I'm, I'm looking at the point guard, I'm looking at the head coach and to see if they have any visual play calls, any verbal play calls, and I get that as quickly as possible, relay that to, to Jeff Bizdelic, who's our associate head coach. And then he relays that to the team to alert whoever of the type of, uh, you know, situation in basketball that they're going to guard in that position. Um, and so kind of the game plan prep with all that and being able to go to the Western Conference Finals, I still look back. And uh, the year we lost to Golden State the second time was when Chris Paul got hurt. And I still truly believe that if CP hadn't gotten hurt, I believe we would have won the championship that year. Um, I mean, we were just that season. Not, it doesn't happen very often, but when you have those types of seasons, you just know it's going to be a special year. And that whole season, everybody kind of felt like it was going to be a special season. Um, and, you know, obviously he gets hurt at the end of game five, and uh, we still won that game. We were up 3-2 in the series, but we ended up losing game six and game seven. And, crazy fashion at home game seven was ridiculous. I still have nightmares of it, but um, you know, I, I truly believe that that was the championship series that year. Um, Cause they went on to beat Cleveland and we crushed Cleveland that year in the regular season, blew them out both times we played them. And I uh, just, I just think that we would have won, but yeah, some really cool experiences. We can get more into it if you want to there in Houston, uh, watching those guys playing and every day was amazing. And then most recently at SFA and you mentioned the Duke game, uh, that's the one that everybody knows about for sure. Uh, unfortunately, that season was, you know, rerouted for everybody because of COVID. Uh, but we, we, it was another one of those years we thought we were going to be able to, as a mid-major, uh, go into the NCAA tournament and uh, think we could have won a, a game or two and, and potentially made a run, been one of those Cinderella teams. So that's what we were at least hoping for. We had that type of confidence. Uh, but that Duke win was another special moment, one that I'll never forget. Because uh, growing up, you know, I, I was always kind of a, a closet Duke fan. Uh, you know, you, you either love Duke or you hate Duke. And uh, I, I was one of those fans of them. And so being able to go in there and beat Coach K on his home floor in Cameron Indoor, it was it was a pretty cool moment. So I think I said an early pro, uh, when someone said some said something, I like to say it's like a chef's kiss. Just, yeah. Just magnificent. No and now that's what it was watching Duke go yeah. down at Cameron Endor. So it definitely. Yeah, most, most people hate Duke. So they're like, yeah, I love to see the upset. So, yeah. You know, there the with Notre Dame and the Yankees as just teams right. you love, you love to lo see lose. <laughs> so, exactly. And yeah. I think it was, at the time it was one of those, um, and it may still be one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history. Uh, just because of the points. I think we were like 30-point underdogs or something like that going into the game. So it was crazy. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a cool moment. Uh, cool moment to beat those guys when they were ranked number one in the country. Oh, yeah. I want to yeah, ask more about that and Rocket stuff. But, yeah, if we can, just go, go back to the beginning, just starting at A&M. So I believe when you start, started, had, had Mark Turgeon just, just been hired when, yes, when you started? Yeah. 
So yeah, I was there for his four four seasons at AM. Okay. So when you first start, your you AM's coming off of the greatest bat. It's literally the greatest basketball season of their yeah. history, at least the most exciting with, with AC Law and the run that they had. And then right after that, he leaves. Sorry, I was about Billy to say Kennedy. Billy, I was about to say Billy Kennedy, but it was not <laughs> Billy Gillespie. Um leaves for Kentucky and then you have Turgeon in and he can kind of continues that on. Do right. you remember from that time getting getting started you're one you're one trying to you're getting your first you know step step into this into this world and beginning your own journey while also the university and coaching staff you know are kind of in this new transition of trying to be you know a consistent uh, basketball po- power and develop into this kind of new you know new landscape that they had just journeyed into with the regime before for you uh, just a, as a GA what was your kind of mentality or strategy while you're kind of you're learning the ropes you're trying to learn culture and <laughs> numerous thing numerous things um but you're also you know you're wanting to train and gain more knowledge in order you know to excel you know and hopefully be able to uh you know, to level up the way, the way you have throughout your career. So what is that like kind of in the, you know, when you're just, when you're just getting started and you're kind of on, you know, lack of better term, lower rungs of, yeah. of sort of the, yeah. of the staff. So how is that? Yeah. It's uh so being the lower rung right there. Yeah. It's uh you got to be willing to do just about anything. Um, and someone that, you know, as I came in and I tra- so I transferred from that division three into A&M and, uh, it was coming off the sweet 16 year. And actually I had come back that uh, last semester. So I got to kind of, as a fan, um, obviously growing up at Consol and everything, I was a, you know, was, drank the Kool-Aid and I was an A&M fan and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, I got to, I got to witness that as a fan. And I was thinking to myself, man, I gotta, I gotta find a way to be a part of this in some, some way. So when uh, Gillespie left, his director of basketball operations stayed there to run the basketball camps that summer. Um, and actually, I got introduced by somebody else, a uh, fellow Consol graduate, um, Logan Emerson. He played at Consol and he mm-hmm. was a manager at AM. And so, because I played at, at Consol with him and knew him, I, you know, reached out to him. I was like, how can I be involved? Um, so, he introduced me to, to the director of ops. So, I volunteered. Uh, the rest of that semester after the Sweet 16 year or Sweet 16 run, I volunteered, and then they said, "Okay, come back uh, for the summer for summer camps uh, to kind of just you know learn the ropes and it's a trial run for us to see if you fit all that kind of stuff." So, um, so I was there during the whole transit, the coaching transition and everything, and just fortunately, I I guess I worked hard enough and they kept me around. Uh, but like I said, that you gotta you gotta be able to to do anything and everything. Um, being a manager and grad assistant for a college athletic program is not a glorious position. It's kind of like what you said earlier, that the head coach is at the forefront for a coaching staff, but all the guys that do the behind the scenes things, you know, that goes, a lot of it goes unseen. And the lower you are, the even more unseen it is. So, you know, we're there at all hours. Um, I remember during my, my grad assistant years, uh, there were many a nights I would sleep at the arena, uh, just because I would be up there till two or three o'clock in the morning doing, doing some type of work for the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd have to be at class maybe at 7am the next day or 8am. Mm-hmm. And so it just made more sense to stay up there 
Um, and I mean, obviously I took advantage of nice facilities and I would always pack clo extra clothes with me and uh, be able to take showers and whatnot up there. But, you know, it's, it's rebounding for guys at all hours during the day and um, passing to them and just being able to work them out. Because as a manager, you can do that. Uh, as assistant coaches, NCAA rules and whatnot, you're limited to the number of hours you can be on the floor. So they really rely on managers to be able to kind of do that late night, early morning type of stuff just to help out and give them a hand to rebound and pass. Um, and But between that and video and making airport runs to Houston to pick up recruits or coaches or working tailgates during football games, I mean, it's, it's all – it's a mountain – uh, list of stuff to do but that's kind of how I got in I just worked my tail off and put in the hours and not for for basically no money and um, that's kind of something I've learned throughout my career too is early on in guys professions the money is not there so if you're getting in for the money you're in it for the wrong reasons now eventually hopefully you get your break and you get opportunities and you can make a little bit and support your family obviously but early on starting off most guys they don't get a whole lot of money uh, especially in college and even pros like my two intern years in Houston when I graduated I made basically nothing uh, but fortunately at the time I was newly married and my wife she uh, she carried the weight for us uh, she was my sugar mama so she provided she supported me in this dream uh, and it's a I will say it's a wild dream to chase a wild career to be in uh, just from the standpoint of you never know where you're going to be from year in and year out uh, every season changes as a new team. And fortunately for me, being from Texas, uh, I've been able to work and stay close to home. Uh, now, currently this summer, we're, we're in a position to, to be with a new team and it's most likely going to be out of state. So that'll be a new adventure for us, uh, depending on where we land and we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a dynamic that doesn't get mentioned enough with coaches. I feel like in all arenas, whether it be basketball, baseball, football is you know just the amount the amount of transition that 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 happens just you know for whether you're trying to make make your way up you know for you it was going from A&M to you know to the Rockets and you see you know that's basically the offseason storyline is coat is coaching changes you know for you Megan and now your two beautiful girls how do I guess how do y'all handle the late the late night hours of the tra the the traveling that that's required you know for the positions that you're in yeah, uh, you know, my wife and I were very um, intentional with how, like, especially when I'm on the road. So, like, in, in at SFA, it wasn't as bad. You leave the night before college. Like, you leave the night before, um, you play the day of, and then you usually come back. And especially at SFA, and my, I think most college teams, uh, especially if you get high major, you're usually traveling back after the game. So you're gone at most maybe two days, unless it's like a tournament or something like that. So it wasn't as bad, but in the NBA with all the amount of travel, you could be gone. You know, it could be a two day road trip. It could be a 10, 12, 14 day road trip. It just depends. Um, so we were very intentional and um, thankfully with technology these days with FaceTime and whatnot, uh, a lot of times what I would do is we'd get to the hotel. I'd get so, Jimmy John's and free or, or um, Jimmy John's and Chipotle were like my two go-tos mm -hmm. on the road. Uh, if I wasn't going to eat with somebody. And I would get Jimmy John's delivered or find the close to Chipotle, bring it back to the room. And I'd be working because I'd be doing a lot of the scouting. So as I was doing that, my wife and I, we would most times, most nights FaceTime. 
And sometimes we'd be on there an hour or two and it'd be an open conversation, but at the same time, she'd be working on stuff. I'd be working on stuff, but we're still in each other's presence kind of. Um, so mm -hmm. we were very intentional with that. Um, I will say that in the NBA, the nice thing about the NBA during the summertime and the off season is you get way more time at home than in college. College is kind of, believe it or not, it's kind of year round because you're in the office early to late at night. Um, you've got recruiting during the summer, recruiting during the season, and you don't really have those true off days. Uh, whereas in the NBA, because the season regular season is so long, if you have an off day in the NBA, you are off. Like you go home, you don't go to the arena and yeah, you're going to have work to do, but they're not calling you up to the arena. Right. Um, and then during the summer, like I said, we go in and we'd be there doing draft workouts, things like that. But you go Monday through Thursday, typically, unless you have something planned over the weekend. Uh, but you have most weekends off, which was amazing. Uh, and then the draft happens and then you get summer league. And after summer league, believe it or not, in a normal year, uh, they're still adjusting, getting back to a normal time frame because of COVID and whatnot. But in a normal year, it's usually at the beginning of July to mid-July. And after that, you have the second half of July and all of August completely off. So most teams, everybody personnel will be doing all their travel. And, and you'll kind of stagger it like, hey, you're gone this week. I'm gone this week. You know, such and such is gone the next week kind of deal. But mm -hmm. it's uh, the downtime in the offseason for the NBA is really it's a nice thing. Um, it's, it's almost like a teacher kind of because you're home just yeah. it's it's, it's the off season. You're home mm -hmm. a lot more. So, uh, but we were just, a, you know, that was kind of nice thing about that, but with, with Megan, just being intentional um, in, in our time off, the nice thing in Houston was on, on practice days. So I would go in sometimes it just depends. Uh, it'd be anywhere from four thirty five AM in the morning um, to, to we would practice midday around lunch. And I'd be out of the office by three o'clock in the afternoon. Most everybody in staff would be out. Um, and so you have the evenings to be with family. Uh, and then on game days, we did away with shoot around our last couple of years there just because we had a veteran team. And so I wouldn't get into the office until after lunchtime on game days. So I would have mornings on game days off with the family as well. So with the girls and everything, we'd go to breakfast and you, you get time to, to be with them. Um, and I would often at night on non-game days, I'd spend time with the family. And then once the girls would go to sleep and my wife would start to wind down, get ready for bed, that's oftentimes when I start working again. And so it's a lot of late nights, early mornings, um, for lack of a better term, it's kind of a grind, but again, it's, uh, the passion for the game. It's almost like a disease. You just can't help it. And you got it. You got to work your tail off because there's right. definitely people, uh, trying to get your positions. No question. Right. So you mentioned grinds and late, late nights kind of during, during those early days, you know, with A&M or maybe early days in the Rockets, what parts of, you know, what parts of those first jobs were you really drawn to when it came to, you know, you mentioned, you know, scout, scouting, you mentioned recruiting for, for A&M. Was there a certain arena that you were really, that you're really passionate and it was easy to go to and other parts that were more, were more of a grind for you, you know, kind of battling. Um, I, I, I've always been drawn to be on the floor. I love to be on the floor. Uh, now, my early years, you know, for for someone like myself, um, not a great player, but you know, is capable on the floor to to be doing things. Um, 
you got to find there's and there's no direct path for a coach. Everybody's path is completely different. But with that said, somebody like myself, you're more able to get uh, a leg up in the profession by going the video route. Um, and so that's where I, you know, I guess I was drawn to that because I knew it was going to be an avenue in for me if I wanted any opportunities. I started off really with that, to be honest, uh, and really focused on that. But, you know, you, you at a and as a manager and grad assistant, you wear many hats. Like, so I was, I was head manager, so I was in charge of all the other managers. Uh, I was in charge of our equipment as a student, which is crazy to look back on. Um, I was in charge of, uh, or as basically assistant video coordinator um, and doing the scouting. I had a huge hand in our summer camps um, and, you know, helping do whatever with hosting recruits uh, while they, when they came. And so you wear a lot of different hats, but again, just, I knew if I was going to excel in the profession, I had to be really good in the video area. Um, so I knew that was going to be my way in. And that's why, that's how I landed the internship in Houston was in the video room. So. Was there anyone at, at A&M or those early points that was really crucial to your development and moving up within the profession? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you learn a lot of great things and you learn some things that you don't, you may not necessarily agree with um, and that you kind of put in your back pocket as you continue to grow in the profession. Um, but I'll say the entire staff at AM uh, was a huge part from, from head coach, Mark Turgeon, just being able to listen to him in practices and games and, learning the X's and O's component of it, um, you know, learning from him and then the other coaches and from an individual workouts and putting, you know, as they put guys through workouts on the floor, you know, I'd be a lot of times I would take notes or go after and, and jot notes down um, just to try to learn as much as possible. Uh, in the video room, our video coordinator, he taught me a ton. The, the grind of it, I mean, I respect that guy because he really studied the game a ton. Um, and it really helped me to understand the amount of work that goes into it. Um, and, and that's what I think a lot of people is the common fan doesn't really understand how much prep really goes into, you know, getting guys better to game plan prep and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy how much goes on. And I remember one year, uh, one of my intern years in Houston, a fellow intern and I were walking out of the arena and we look down on the court and we just see the goal. And I'm like, isn't it crazy that all this happens just because of that goal, that court and that goal down there. And it's just crazy how much the industry has grown and it really is an entertainment industry. Um, but it's just, it's, it's nuts how much goes into it, but yeah, no question. Uh, most, I mean, everybody that I've worked with, you learn something from, um, especially if you're really looking and want to learn. And I think, you got to understand in this profession, you never really truly stop growing. Um, and as I mentioned a second ago, there's always someone behind you trying to get your spot. So you got to continue to grow and advance and um, you want to, you got to want to learn and kind of grow with the game. I mean, great, the game, at the end of the day, it's basketball, basketball is basketball, but they, there's different styles of play and people see the way the game is being played now with all the three pointers, like it's changed and you got to be able to, know what to change with and what you want to keep and all that kind of stuff. But that comes down to basketball philosophy and, and all that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. but everybody, everybody you learn from. 
well, as a fan, I, I have to bring up games that I remember and um, really enjoyed watching. And that's at your time at A&M, that's when I was at school. And that was kind of the, you know, for time, I, I think they're on their way there, but it was the peak of Reed Arena as far as it being packed and students. And one of my favorite games, even though it didn't, it didn't, uh, we didn't get the outcome we wanted is when, uh, is when number one Kansas came in, yep. I believe, uh, Cole, Cole, <laughs> uh, Cole Aldridge and Mario Chalmers, that squad. And it was, it was, yeah, <laughs> outside of, outside of the Texas games or the, like the, or the AC law area, that was probably the, the, la- that's the loudest and like craziest mm-hmm. environment I've seen reader reader in. Cause it was just such a big matchup. Cause A&M was, top 20 top 15 at the time and was like on a really they, it looks like you're we were hitting hitting the stride at the good time because March Madness was was coming up and so I just I just have to know just with game with games like that what is that like for your perspective as far as preparing for games like that and then being in the in the midst of it yeah uh like, like I said man I got I got goosebumps right now because I'm <laughs> I'm remembering that game yeah. um that there, that was probably one of my uh, top five atmospheres I've ever experienced in college, whether it's Reed Arena or elsewhere. Um, and, be, and speaking on Kansas, the fog is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal arena. Like, it's crazy. Uh, Cameron Indoor was awesome. Tennessee is actually a really – was a great mm-hmm. environment that I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that Kansas game – Man, I still, whew, I, I, I like, it's crazy because if I remember correctly, uh, the game itself was back and forth, never really got above two, yeah. four points either direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we had a dunk late in that game and we got called for a tech for hanging on the rim. And so they get two shots oh, yeah. plus the ball. And I think that was within like the final two minutes of the game. And we never uh, uh, like bumped their lead up to four or five or something like that. And we just never were able to recover after that. But yeah, that was, uh, I remember looking up in the crowd, especially just, I mean, the whole crowd was amazing, but you know, the students at A&M, when they're into it, they're into it. Um, when they're the, the, that's what brings the noise, but the whole crowd was loud from with every basket. But I remember looking up in the student section and I'm pretty sure they were over uh, fire code because I remember looking up and the aisles were completely full of people. Like, <laughs> yeah. Where are the stairs? Yeah, rules are being broken for sure. Yeah. That, <laughs> that for night. sure. Uh, but yeah, that environment, you know, I'm a big, uh, I, I love the fan experience and the, and the environments to be able to go to, to cool places and experience that. I'm a, I'm a big fan guy. Like if I'm watching a game on TV and, it, and the crowd starts to get into it, I turn the volume up because I want, I want to be as close to that experience as possible mm-hmm. if I'm not there. Um, being in the playoffs in Houston, uh, believe it or not, one of my favorite crowds in playoffs, uh, and people are going to think Golden State, no question, they were loud, but Utah, like, first of all, they're crazy in Utah. Like, they say some things that are <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> I've heard. But with that said, they are extremely loud. I mean, it's they, they that is a passionate, passionate fan base. Um, and I tell people all the time, you know, some of the top people always ask me, what are the best crowds in, in the NBA? And Utah was one of those. Um, Portland was great. Oklahoma City, Golden State, obviously, Boston, Philadelphia. Um, you know, those are some just off the top of my head, some great crowd atmospheres. 
you know, it's interesting because college compared to the NBA, like college crowds, if you've got a great student section, they're going to be loud the entire game, um, like at Reed Arena, right? Or mm-hmm. if, like I mentioned Fog earlier with Kansas, Fog Allen, like they, the crowd there showed up an hour before student section was full, a full hour before the game even started. And they're out there chanting and yelling at you. And you're like, holy smokes. <laughs> uh, whereas the NBA regular season, you know, they may get loud into game, whatever. But playoffs, most NBA crowds, they're, 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 that's when the college atmosphere, right, shows up and they're allowed the entire game. Um, so, it's, you know, it's really cool. You can see the level of intensity take off from a fan standpoint uh, once the playoffs hit in the NBA. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that Fog Allen, man, that was – or uh, the Kansas game at Reed Arena was – that was a special night. I wish we could have won that game, but – Man, I know, that was yeah. I know it was tough because they were like I can remember moments like you said, like the don't just like moments where we feel like we were gonna get over the hump and mm-hmm. maybe win and we just had an open shot and just didn't it just didn't fall or something like that. It was but it was a bit, yeah, it was like you said, there nobody really got ahead too too much and it was mm-hmm. down to the wire. So I believe it's I'm sure it's on the YouTube rabbit hole if um I'll look, but it's an <laughs> it's an underrated classic for sure. Speaking of speaking of YouTube, it's funny because if you go back and uh, watch some of the big moments uh, during my time there when I was a, when I was a manager in GA, I sat behind the, the coaching staff already, obviously right the second row, and there's some cool moments where I'm always pointing to people like, "Hey, look at this idiot behind the bench," because I'm back there <laughs> going crazy. And moments. there's a there's a moment when uh, Ray Turner was there, and we were at Missouri, and he had a dunk. He dunked on Kim English. And I went crazy oh, yeah. behind the bench. Um, <laughs> game winners at Nebraska when Josh Carter hit a three against Nebraska. I was back there going, and I had a, actually had a torn ACL, and uh, oh, I had like a leg brace on or something. I, I think I remember just jumping through the roof with a torn ACL because I was so excited because Josh hit that three. Uh, but moments like that that are, you just you remember um, that are pretty cool moments. But yeah, YouTube, you can go see me acting like a fool behind the bench. Um. <laughs> that's amazing is there an expectation on you know being in your position during the game what's kind of your role doing it is it attending to players or is there stuff you're supposed to need to be focusing on on the court to pass along what's you kind know, of what are they asking you to do it's it's different uh it's different depending on my role as the over my course of my career um in houston like i said i did all the play call stuff uh that was my main role uh at sfa I was a front of the bench assistant coach and it depends. If you have a scout, you're, you're verbal with the head coach, you know, verbalizing things to the players on the floor, alerting them to things, matchups, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if it's not your scout, you know, you're a little bit more in the background, but you're still, you're, you more have a seat, uh, not standing as much. And you're, you're talking to players on the floor, alerting them of things too, just assisting. Um, and as they come off the floor, my role always at SFA was kind of just, to be in guys' ears uh, and, and you're reading the room. Uh, did they just come off the floor because they had a bad play and turnover? Coach just took them out, right? They turned the ball over. What is their headspace like? Uh, how do you talk them off the ledge, keep them a positive, keep them positive and, and focus on the next play mentality, right? Just continuing to build them up um, and stay in the moment, all that kind of stuff. With the Rockets, you know, I was sitting behind the bench. You kind of, you would have a little bit of, opportunities to speak to guys if you see something on the floor or whatnot um, you did have those moments and it, it all depends like the older I've gotten and in this career um, it's all about relationships and I think 
that's true in anything in life. Uh, it's about relationships, but in basketball or athletics in general, like what kind of relationship have you built with the, with the athlete? Um, what you know, and that all comes from spending time with them on the floor, spending time with them outside of basketball, building a relationship. Right. Uh, and when you build stronger relationships with, with guys, they earn your trust and you have more opportunities to, uh, you know, truly coach them, if you will, and speak to them and, and alert them and teach them. And it's all about uh, how you talk to them too. I think, um, you know, a big thing that I learned in the NBA is that you have to learn how to talk to players um, and get your message across without screaming and yelling at them. Because in the NBA, you know, if you do that, you're most likely fired because it's a player's league. Let's be mm -hmm. honest. Uh, whereas in college, it's a little bit the other way. You can truly kind of yell at them a little bit more. Uh, but I, I, I have found with myself kind of a happy medium in between the two. Uh, getting on them when I need to, but at the same time, you know, being able to talk to them without screaming and yelling at them. Um, and I think that's, to be honest with you, it's kind of one of my natural uh, attributes is just remaining calm and not getting too high, not getting too low in the moment. Yeah, but glad you brought it up because that was something I was fascinated as well. You go from video coordinator to A&M and then you move to the Rockets and you you touched on relationship with the players and that and that dynamic you know, was there more, was there more to that or more of an adjustment when it came to not just relationships with the players, but also how you yourself prepared or scouted for a game in the pros versus a game, a game in, in college and just the way that they're, that they're played at that level. You know, I, I think for, first from a scouting standpoint, at the end of the day, a game, basketball is basketball. Like, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. Um, so the scouting reports per se are, are, essentially kind of the same. When I went from the Rockets to SFA, I brought a lot of the same scouting techniques, if you will, um, to SFA and my delivery and how I did video edits for the presenting to the team and all that kind of stuff. Um, how you walk them through things on the floor, like a lot of that's the same. Um, but I find that the relationships, it's a different dynamic in college, you know, the kids are still young. So you have more opportunity to, um, invest in their lives if you will and, and really kind of teach them to become men um and what that looks like outside of basketball so you're more of a, a i think kind of a father father figure if you will um a second parent um as well as your as a coach to them right whereas in the nba you know i think that okay now you're dealing with grown men um and they they are who they are um so again that goes back to to learning to to teach and coach them without you got to be able to get your message across where they're going to respond positively to it. So it's mm -hmm. a little bit different. Uh, but again, it just the relationships um, part of it, I think it's a kind of a, I guess a silly quote or whatever, but I call it sweat equity. It's where you spend time on the floor with the guys and whether you're putting them through drills or whatever, but you're on the floor with them and I'm, you know, mid thirties out there sweating with them just as much, but I may give them like token defense. Hey, yeah, they should definitely get a bucket on me. No question. <laughs> but I give them a little bit of a look and the pressure. And they, I think guys, and, and for myself too, you naturally build a relationship because if you're involved with athletics and you've ever played, you kind of understand that you, when you go through and you get to put the sweat in, um, you kind of earn the respect of each other. 
uh, and you know, because you're going through it together. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that sweat equity, if you will, um, is very valuable for the relationships. But yeah, there's definitely a difference between pros and, and college, um, a different type of relationship. But at the end of the day, how are you building that relationship with the guys? And, you know, mm-hmm. other opportunities to do things outside of basketball. Um, in Houston, I remember um, <laughs> we called them sponsored meals. Uh, it's, it's, it was awesome because obviously those guys make millions of dollars and they can afford it but they would take us to dinner and, and sponsor our meal. Uh, so it was, it was fun to be a part of that and get to know him a little bit outside of basketball. Um, Ryan Anderson used to always go to the movies with us. Like we'd go catch a movie on the road and uh, you know, there's still, so there's opportunities to do things with those guys. And in college, obviously, you know, they're away from home and you got a little bit more responsibility to spend time with them um, because you are kind of their second parent now. Um, so you obviously have like a lot of team meals and things like that, but do you have the guys over to your house? Do you take them to lunch from time to time? Um, you know, just investing in them, finding ways to invest in, in relationship with them outside of basketball is very important too. And so with it, with NBA, you know, you have kind of the, you have the grind of the season and then when you get into playoffs, it's all these best of seven series versus college where it's kind of just one long it's the longer casino and then March Madness is like one and you know one one and done and you see it in the NBA playoffs how the matchups just change throughout throughout a series and the adjustments and people get keyed in on and during the regular season while I'm sure there's a ton of preparation you also kind of have that aspect of you know kind of rest management (laughs) of sorts where you have players like a Chris Paul and a LeBron uh, LeBron James that need to last all you know all 82 games or at least just make it make it through health so they can be healthy right for for playoffs um does that um on your end does that change anything up knowing knowing like just the mentality of kind of regular season games you know and grinding through you know long road trips or back back to backs you know versus a playoff versus a best of seven playoff series where you're facing the same opponent over and over yeah, I mean, uh, as you know, I'm sure as you've noticed, as you as you watch playoffs and whatnot in the NBA, uh, rotations get shortened, and so guys typically are playing a lot more minutes in the playoffs. Um, whereas in the regular season, you know, and it it all depends on it depends on the player, it depends on the training staff and what the coaches want. Um, but you know, older guys typically this new thing with load management, right? LeBron, Kawhi Leonard's one, you know, guys do it. They, they tend to understand. There's an understanding. I think, I think as a coaching staff, you don't want that. You obviously want to win games. And if you're sitting your best player out, you're like, come on, man. You know, um, I know in our experience in Houston, like for example, James, James is a hooper, man. Like he, he wants to be on the floor. Like it's like pulling teeth to get him to come off the floor. Um, and he very rarely missed a game for us because because he wanted to be out there. Were there moments where our training staff's like, hey, take the night off? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, the player does have that decision to make. And James was like, I'm not coming out. Where CP, he's a little bit older. He understands he's got to take care of his body. Like, all right, I'll take the game off tonight. You know, it, it's kind of it, – I don't, I'm not crazy about it, but I understand it, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you always want your guys out there. But as the playoffs progress and you have um, guys playing heavier minutes, 
it comes with a, you know, they got, they have to, uh, it's who, the, who you trust. You obviously want your best players out there. You got to win games. Uh, and to be honest with you, that's kind of like, uh, I think that's kind of why CP was hurt in our series against Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. He uh, was, it was a recommendation from our training staff and they're doing their jobs of minutes and how long he should be playing in games. Cause they knew like he was, he was getting to the max. Like he, they knew. Um, and again, like it's a discussion beforehand and, and where coach and CP are like, look, if we, if you're going to play, do you, are you going to play? You know, and of course CP is like, yeah, I want to be out there. This is the Western conference finals, a chance to be one of the, beat one of the greatest teams of all time. Like we're going to risk it. We're going to go for it. Um, and Ultimately, we know how that kind of ended with him getting hurt, but it's just high risk, high reward at that point. Uh, but the guys in the NBA, they do a phenomenal job of taking care of themselves. Um, you know, from training staff um, to our strength staffs uh, in Houston, like they, they, those guys and, and the older vets as players, they know what to do to take care of their bodies, the food that they eat, the, the, just the, the maintenance that they do on their body in the weight room and training staff or in the training room, you know, to take care and try to be preventative of those types of injuries. They do all that stuff. I mean, it's a, they understand that they're a multi-million dollar asset. Like, so they want their money uh, and we need them to want their money and be out there. So you do, it's a, it's a, that's again, it's a relationship uh, with staff and training staff and all that kind of stuff. And you figure out a happy medium of what you need to do, but college, you know, I think you can get away and, and guys are younger. So they're a little bit, they can handle a little bit more stress on the body, if you will. Um, and, and college, you don't really run into that problem as much. I mean, it's less games. Guys are trying to um, have great careers. So they have opportunities after college. So you're not going to really run into to guys wanting to sit out in college. Like they, they want to play. There's the NBA, such a long season and the older you get, you know, the vets from time to LeBron, hey, I'm going to take tonight off. <laughs> you know, the players leave. Like I said, they, they have a lot of that decision making. Nice. Well, that brings us uh, to a segment we like to do on this show. And uh, I assure you, this is all this is all in good fun. But it's a little segment we uh, we call Explain Your Receipts. And that's where uh, I have found posts from social media that I was, I just, I'm interested to uh, learn more context about and just wanted, wanted to ask you. So I found, uh, I found a a couple that I thought were pretty, pretty cool. Um, So my first one, first one's from Instagram is from January 13th, 2018. And your caption is just simply Mr. Michael Phelps with a bunch of gold medals. And it is you and the world record holder for gold medals, uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Michael Michael Phelps. So I, yeah, I just need to know the story story about how, how how did that picture come come to yeah. existence? It's crazy. Uh, so it's so funny because uh, look back on that moment now. Um, that game was actually in Phoenix, so we were in Phoenix, and that's before they were playing in the NBA Finals. They were a bottom of the league team, uh, and it's just funny. I don't even know why he was there uh, at the game, but he knew somebody in the locker room, probably CP or somebody. Uh, and they brought him in afterwards and, you know, 
it's a little bit of a fanboy coming out of me. You know, I think <laughs> in my experience in the league, you kind of grow immune to um, those moments of, oh, my gosh, it's so-and-so, you know. Uh, but being able to, to see Michael Phelps, I mean, the dude's the, the most decorated Olympian, I think, ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, of course, I had to take a picture with him. You know, it's, it's, uh, I got to get my credit up. <laughs> so it was, a, that, it was just, he happened to be in the locker room and um, talking to people. And, and so I got to meet him. It was a pretty cool moment. <laughs> was it like walking around the corner or there he was? <laughs> or something yeah, it, pretty much. Yeah. So the way their <laughs> locker room was, there's a little hallway that leads into the locker room. And so I'm walking out of the locker room into this little hallway and there he is walking right in. And I'm like, wow, there, there's, there's, what the hell's Michael Phelps doing here? Uh, but sure enough, I think he, like I said, he, he knew one of the players. I mean, those guys at that level, they know each other across leagues and across professions. They just, I mean, they're famous. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that leads me to my next, my next post. This is from, oh man, my screenshot uh, cut off, but it's from <laughs> September of 2019. I believe I'll try to show it on the screen if you can see it, but it says a little late, but wanted to say I had a blast working with CP at the CP3 camp this summer. It was an amazing opportunity to learn and see some of the young talent coming up. By far one of the best camps I've worked. And this is the yeah, the shot. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, I was just curious. Uh and there's other photos. There's like a group photo with Chris Paul in the center and you and some other uh coaches up, right. I believe. So uh oh uh, yeah, I was curious to know because you have uh yeah, you have this pretty cool story with Chris Paul who's now you know, finally has made his first NBA finals and is look, he's, he's looks like well. he's on his way to a finals MVP. Maybe right. uh, the way, it, the way it started, they're now two two Oh, when we're, when we're chatting and you uh, in your career. So you've got to, so one Western concert, one Western conference finals with Houston uh, involved in incredible three, one comeback against Chris Paul. Yeah. And the Clippers, and was this improbable run that got you there? And then you had one with Chris Paul, you know, that ended, you know, you're right, you know, right That's at right. the right at the finish line, and then fate, you know, fate stepped in, and you know, who who knows? And now, and you know, you've gotten to work with him at camps, and him, and uh, you know, following the Rockets and following him and James Harden. I'll be honest to fans they have a little bit of a rep reputation no <laughs> with, with that with how they play a the game but you have kind of a, you have a more in-depth in-depth look i guess so from that first first time seeing him like as an opponent and then getting to work work with him did that come up kind of that that series or would that would that be like a hey we don't bring that up <laughs> around, yeah, around uh, him? you definitely you got to pick and choose uh your your times to kind of rub the, the salt in the wound to guys. Um, you know, he, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think I ever brought that one up to him. Um, and it's kind of funny before we got CP in Houston, I was not a Chris Paul fan. Like I had loved his game, but just wasn't a fan of him. Uh, and it's funny, as you say, like you have these perceptions of guys. Once he joined us, perception totally changes. Like, he's a great dude. Um, he's funny, like cares about people. Um, has a lot to say. Sometimes you agree with it. Sometimes you don't, but um, yeah, your perceptions change. It's just, and it's the same with James. Like it's so funny to me um, because James has this, he, especially in Houston, he got such a bad rep, I think from the media. Uh, he just wasn't well liked um, for whatever reasons. 
Uh, a lot of it had to do with the ISO ball and all that kind of stuff and him dribbling the ball and all that. But at the end of the day, two things like, yes, we did run a lot of ISO situations for him, but we had the ball in our best player's hands. He's one of the most, you know, and Houston is a huge analytics team. So they were, he's one of the most, um, our successful, uh, you know, points per possession type of player to have the ball in his hands, even in ISO situations, like maybe one of the greatest of all time. Um, and when he had it, he, people forget, like he led the league in assists one year. Um, like he, he's going to find guys. He's going to read the defense and either make a play for himself or play for others. And so, you know, it was successful for us. Uh, we were like a, that Western conference finals run with CP. Like we should have won. In my opinion, we should have won that year. Uh, but he had this bad rep, but now that he's in Brooklyn and he's kind of stepped down from that role of having to score so much, uh, people like, I remember one of the first games he, he had in Brooklyn, the announcers, the local announcers from Brooklyn were like, man, this guy's pretty good. It's like, yeah, this dude's <laughs> phenomenal. What, do you, what have you been watching? You just, and, and he gets a bad rep for defense. Okay. So he has a bad defensive possession, uh, you know, once or twice that they show on ESPN, like the dude's, yeah, he has his moments where he takes plays off, but at the end of the day, he can play defense when he wants to. And it just, it, it's so media driven and it's just, it's just funny, but I, I love James too. I'm the biggest homer for him when getting arguments with people that want to hate on and I'm like, man, James, is, he's a great player. Um, but yeah, CP. Oh, okay. I got one story for you. Uh, not regarding either one of those players, but PJ Tucker. All right. Mm -hmm. So went to Texas, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely one that I'm definitely rubbing some salt in, yep. in the wounds. Uh, so when AC hit the shot against them and won the game, uh, PJ Tucker, the possession before that was dribbling the ball out and dribbled the clock out. And so yep. I remember one of the first days we had him in Houston, I, I brought that up. So he was like, Oh man, like he, just, <laughs> he, he, he was, he was not happy to say the least, yeah. but I had to rub that one in for sure. Just being an Aggie. So, um, I mean, you pick and choose your moments uh, of when to do that kind of stuff. The CP camp, like that was a phenomenal opportunity to learn from him. And um, it's a camp that he puts on for guards every year for, for high school and college point guards across the country. And so you get to see some of the great talent coming up. Um, and it's just like Trey, Traymont, that picture you just showed me, Traymont Waters, uh, played at LSU and is in Boston, you know, the Boston organization now. Um, he was at that camp when he was at LSU. So it's kind of cool to see how some of those guys have come up through that. But yeah, cool. That was a cool camp. Cool, cool experience on that one. With, yeah. So with, with the Rockets, you, the first, the first run it's with Kevin McHale. So the second one's with Mike Tank D'Antoni for one was semi unexpected because of that, because of the yeah. famous Clipper series. And then the second yeah. one, it was basically, uh, it felt like it was finals or bust right. that year for just like how all in that team team was were the mentalities of those teams sim similar just in in the lot in the locker room like kind of going into the play playoffs you know can, can you remember kind of any differences that you saw because hard because james harden was was on both was on right. both teams so but there are different rosters um at the time outside of them yeah i think uh the 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 year that we beat the clippers came back and beat them 3-1 they went to golden state and and lost the series four to one um, I think that that year we overachieved. I do think that that Clippers team was probably one of the best Clippers teams that they had and they underachieved and it was a miracle comeback by us. I mean, 
the game that turned the series around was in L.A. And uh, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer coming <laughs> off the bench for us had a ridiculous run in the fourth quarter. Like James, I don't even think he played in the fourth. He, if he did, he maybe played a minute or two. So Mikhail made the decision to sit James that that during that run, and he rolled the dice, and it paid off, obviously. But that's that was a crazy comeback. Like it was insane that game alone, and then to turn the series that completely changed the whole series. Um, so that year, I think we overachieved. But the mentality—it's kind of funny. I think for athletes to be successful, and I found this with most of them, most guys have kind of a screw loose. Uh, they, they think that they're better than they are. Um, and, you know, obviously the NBA, they're all very talented and you have your elite talents with CP and James, those guys. Um, but even guys off the bench, like they're, they're no question. They're obviously very talented. They play in the NBA, but they still think that they're better than they actually probably are. Um, and they, you never, that mentality that year, you know, I, I don't, you have NBA aspirations, but you know you're probably not favored, right, um, in the back of your mind. But at the end of the day, they have that mentality that no one's better than me anyway. Mm -hmm. So the difference between that year, though, and the, and the second time around with CP, we were the best record in the league, best team in the league. Like, we knew – and, again, I alluded to it a second ago. I knew that that was a special year. I knew that we had a special group of guys, and it was a little bit different. Like, it was champion – it definitely 100% was championship or bust. We knew that we had the talent and the ability, and I still, like I said, I believe we should have won that year um, if Chris hadn't gotten hurt. So a little bit different from that aspect going into it. You, I think you have a little bit more just natural boost, natural confidence, but boosted confidence um, going into that, that Western Conference Finals run that year. Um, you expect to win every single game. I think we were 67 and 15 that year in the regular season or something like that, or 60, it was either six, 67 and 15 or 65 and 17, I forget. Uh, but, you know, we weren't losing most nights. So you just, you didn't expect to lose. You expected to win every game. So a little bit different. From, from all that span, you know, we've spanned a long, long time. We've talked about big games, big moments. Are there maybe some moments games uh that maybe aren't talked about as much um but that you really remember that you really remember fondly whether that be you know experience with a player or at, a, at a game yeah um in particular uh just because it's it, there's an nba tie here but time at a m uh when we had chris middleton as a freshman and um it was turge's last year there i believe and chris I think we were playing Missouri at home. I think it was Missouri. Um, Chris took over in the end of regulation and then in overtime as a freshman and ended up winning the game. And I, I, that's a, it's not really talked about that much, but that's a cool moment for me to look back on to see where Chris is now. He's playing in the NBA finals now with the Bucs. Um, you know, to see him have that moment as a freshman in college, and you never know how these moments are going to pan out for these, for these guys, if they're going to become – great pros or whatever um it's kind of cool to see where he from that moment to where he is now um that's one off the top of my head that's a cool moment to reflect upon um you know there's i mean i just there's so many cool the 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 wins against baylor um with donald sloan and those guys like 
yeah. Uh, Those are my personal favorites. Yeah. Baylor in that time was, oh, baptism. Oh, man. (laughs) And that was my first year. That was my first year. I need a a part two of this podcast just to talk about the baptism. (laughs) I love that. I love that moment so much. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of crowds, like, so, and normally Baylor doesn't have that great crowd. But when we went there, obviously, and they were kind of on the rise at that time, um, it was a great crowd there. And there's a lot of bad blood between Baylor and AM, obviously. Uh, and I just remember things being thrown on the floor. I remember fights in the stands. Um, and then that dunk at the end was just, it was phenomenal. It, it was, was just, <laughs> I it was beautiful. It. I yeah. felt terrible that I forgot because that's like my number one ain't a basketball <laughs> basketball moment. Just real, I guess real quickly. Do you remember like the aftermath of that? Like was Tur was Turgeon like that <laughs> mad at Donald for do, doing that? Or was it just like, let's just get out no. of here. And <laughs> no, not at all. I think I, if I remember correctly, he got back into the locker room and kind of gave the double, the double fist crouch, like walking in. Yes. <laughs> and, and probably dropped a, an F bomb or two. Like, yes, yeah. And just, yeah, it was, he was not upset about it. He was, he was like, <laughs> well, I remember had, that. Bad blood too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that in the moment, that was a really important game. Cause that year they were on the bubble. I think they turned, I think, I think that year they went nine and nine or like 500 in big 12. And they right. really, and they really needed that Baylor win to like up their, mm-hmm. their resume. And that kind of put them over, put them over the hump. Yeah. Um, yeah. That time. So, I mean, I mean, when I, when I'm feeling down and out and I need to pick me up, I, I search <laughs> I search the baptism on, on YouTube and it, yeah. it always lifts, lifts my spirits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it was a great, no question. Great moment. Um, but there's, there's moments like that uh, in the NBA too. Uh, you know, some game winners, Eric Gordon hit a game winner at Philly. Uh, Gerald Green hit a game winner at home against Phoenix one year. Um, James Harden's, you know, 60 something point triple double at home against Orlando. Like there's cool, cool moments in games like that too, that I remember uh, in the pros that were just, that were awesome. Mm-hmm. I haven't given enough love to, to SFA and just the amazing season that y'all had recently. That was just unfortunately cut close, uh, cut short, pardon me. Um, but yeah, the teams that you beat and then even before that, you know, they were, they've started, you know, first with Brad Underwood and now with, with Kyle, with Kyle Keller, they really are starting to build, build a program there. And this season was really looking like, you know, there could be something, something special, you know, when it came, when it came to March madness and they'd experienced that before a couple of years prior when they won as a, as a 14 seed, Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of talk, talking about, the pan the pandemic era just because of you know because it was just hard hard on all of us but i just i can't help but ask because that for some for something like that to be building for sfa where seasons like that you know are a little bit fewer and further between when you're when you're a mid when you're a mid-major you know and a lot to me it feels like i don't know if more work is the right the right way but when it comes to i guess the stars aligning and having the right roster to to have a great season where you win the conference, you know, maybe make it far in double So, and then for that to just come, come to an abrupt, abrupt close. Yeah. I just, I can't help but to ask just what, what that was like, just kind of in the locker room, I guess, where did things stand yeah. because of just, I think they've extended like, you know, like eligibility um, mm-hmm. from, from that season, you know, just from, uh, from your time, from your time there, from what you're, 
remember just what what was it like kind of going through as thing things were developing in the world yeah it was a uh, it was a man the the pandemic was weird um and it's been a, it's la, la, this last season was weird too just having to go through all the protocols and being tested multiple times a week and um you know it just it was a weird thing and i give a ton of credit to our players for withstanding that um uh, you know so i actually one of the other assistants and I were uh, in Katy for the Southland first round of the Southland conference. We, because we won conference that year, um, we were the number one overall seed and we had two first round buys. Um, I think it was two, it may have even been three. You get a lot of buys in the, in the conference tournament if you're, right. you know, if you're top two seed or what, whatnot. Um, and so we were there, but we were scouting the first kind of first round of the games, the lower level seeds when the news started to break about, uh, Rudy Gobert and mm-hmm. Utah and our, our Oklahoma City and the, and the game that was going on um, and it being canceled. And then when that game caught canceled, I turned to the other assistant. I was like, something's about to – like this has got about to get weird. And shortly thereafter, the NBA announced that they were going to take a leave of absence. They didn't know how long yet, whatever. And as soon as that happened, I kind of knew like college was just around the corner. I knew it was going to happen. Um and it's one of those things that's hard because even though it's inevitable and you know it's going to happen, we still had to prepare as if we were going to play. So those games finished that night for us, you know, scouting those games. We'd get back to the hotel um, with the guys and we're like, hey, we're going to practice tomorrow. We're going to prep as, as if we were playing. We don't know what's going to happen yet. Um, and so we're on the next morning, we're on our way to the arena for practice. We walk into the building. Guys are starting to put their shoes on when the Southland Conference announced that, hey, we're suspending the tournament. Um, and we and they still hadn't made the decision on the NCAA tournament yet, but we knew that the conference tournament was a big domino to fall, that that was probably it for our guys. Um, and so, you know, I felt bad for our seniors more than anything. Um, I mean, shortly thereafter, NCAA announced it, and you, you just kind of knew it was only a, a matter of, of time, like hours, literally, that it was all going to come crashing down. Um, but I felt, I felt the worst for our seniors that year because they didn't get their eligibility back. Um, That's right. Yeah. yeah they were, they were, cause they had played the full season. So it's a tough way for them to go out. Um, and because we knew again, you, those special seasons rarely come along and we knew that that was a special year being 28 and three, we were 19 and one in conference with one hiccup. Um, we had beaten Duke on the road that year and had some other really good wins. And we felt poised, like you said, the stars aligning. We felt poised for a run in the NCAA tournament. Like we really, we truly felt that. Um, so I felt felt bad for them more than anything. Coming back into this season, this past season, uh, is when they the NCAA ruled to ha- allow this year's seniors to come back for an additional year to become super okay. seniors. So. Um, it's been, it's been weird. Uh, we had some games canceled this year because of some people tested positive either on our side or the other, other team. Um, I think we played a total of 21 games this past season, which is way below the norm. Um, Mm -hmm. and it just, it was a weird, weird deal, but I give a ton of credit to, again, our players for withstanding that and going, you know, they handle it. Uh, and it's kind of like, it's, it's anything in life. It's kind of how you handle adversity uh, uh, and what you make of it. And 
the old cliche of like, when you get knocked down, you, you know, how do you, how do you respond? You get up and you keep going or what? And they did. I give a, a ton of credit to them. So. Mm. I don't want it to be a downer for the whole SFA one. So I have, I need to, I need to rewind to the special moments of, of okay. that season when he did get to beat, beat Duke and uh, I believe it was Baylor and LSU was the team as going in. I, I um, I'm blanking on the order of those, of those games, but before the season even began and kind of seeing those games on the schedule was the team like, Hey, we're, that's a game. That's a game we're going to win. And can't, I'm sure that's, the mentality all, all right. always, uh, but was there, you know, maybe you know, whether it be before the season or maybe after the season got going, looking at schedule, did that become as you were, as it was getting closer, did you and the staff um, see it as like, Hey, this is like, where you seen something like, Hey, well, this is a game we can't, we can win. Or did it yeah. take, you know, getting into the game and kind of the flow of the game and how things developed to kind of see like, Hey, this is, this is the thing we, um, that we can achieve. Yeah. I think that uh, it was pretty early on in the year. I think that was like our seventh or eighth game of the season, if I remember correctly. Um, But you, you have a confidence as you go and prep for a season and you start to play your first games and scrimmages and whatnot, you, your confidence grows and you truly kind of see the level of talent your team has and, and what kind of group you're going to have. Um, and as that Duke game approached, uh, we knew that we probably had an ability to co- at least compete for a little while with them. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you never tell the team, like, what you're truly thinking. Like, I hope we don't get beat by 20. They're <laughs> right. blown out of this game. Right. Um, and you, you, you do as a coach, like, you hope you, you, com- you, you hope you make it competitive and, um, can build off of it. Right. And, uh, and it's funny, like, again, our guys just speaking on the resiliency of them again, uh, we actually got down by 15 early in the half at Duke uh, and that's right. Tremendous response from one of our seniors. Like he, I think he had 20 points and a half. He let help lead a run for us to get us back into the game. I think cut it to two at the half, um, but it could, we could have easily, you know, just giving up at that point. Okay, we're down 15 to the number one team. It's Duke at Cameron Indoor. It's very easy to just to give up, no question. Uh, but, uh, again, the, re- the resiliency of our guys, the belief in themselves, the belief we had in them uh, going into the game, we knew we had a talented group. Um, and we, one of our key things in, in, in particular, I mean, in general for SFA, but that season in particular, uh, we knew that our defense was really good. We had one of the best defenses in the country. We led the, the NCAA in steals per game that year, turnover and enforced turnovers. Like we were number one out of 350 something college basketball teams. Um, mm. We knew that we had a special group and we, a huge part of it, and this is something that I learned in Houston as well, like especially defensively, it's all about belief. I mean, there's, there's multiple ways to play defense, but, if you can get your guys to believe in what they're doing and why they're doing it and get them to play hard, that's like 90% of the battle. Uh, and then it comes down to talent and athleticism a little bit after that. But if you have belief and then playing hard, like you got, you give yourself a chance uh, in the NBA or college. And because our guys had it instilled in them and ingrained in them to just continue to play hard and play great defense, 
it's what sparked us and helped us get that run going to get back into that game. But credit to our scout coach to that game. One of the, I wish I could claim that one as my scout, uh, but one of our <laughs> other assistants, it was his scout. And uh, he, he actually did like, he's like, man, I think we really got a chance against these guys. Um, you know, and like Vernon Carey was on that team, uh, seven footer, like great player. He was a freshman that year. Um, the name escapes me, but one of their point guards, I can't believe I can't think of his name right now. Um, great point guard plays in the league. Like, we, we we did a great job prepping for that game uh, and guys just executed the game plan. I mean, they played the tails off obviously. And, you know, it takes a little bit of luck at the end there, the way we won the game <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the basketball gods, if you will, were, were helping us a little bit that night, but man, that was a tremendous, tremendous win to those guys and a really cool little side story. I'm sorry. I know I'm, I'm kind of probably being long winded, but, a little side story. The kid that hit, hit the game-winning layup for them, Nate Bain, is from the Bahamas. And it was a really cool be- moment because he, uh, from the Bahamas, a hurricane had taken out his whole town and, like, the, the island and everything um, the previous within the previous year. And they had tried to do, like, a little GoFundMe thing and whatnot. And it just it wasn't really getting any traction at all. And then what's cool about that moment was when he hit that layup, it just exploded. And like his dad, wow. um, they re- they were able to rebuild their church there and a lot of homes. Like wow. just, it's, it's, it's really cool that a moment in basketball like that had ripple effects for families and his family in particular um, after a hard time that they had gone through. It was a really cool moment to, to kind of reflect on. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So yeah. that's a, that's an awesome story. Well, we, uh, we like to wind down each show with two, with two questions. Um, so I'm going to hit, hit you with them. So I'd love to hear, uh, uh, Mitchell, the basketball player for this, for this story, uh, or for this question, what's one, uh, or what, what is something that happened in your life that made you feel like the coolest person in the world? As a player, <laughs> it could be any, it could be anything. I was just like, uh, I just like to hear, like, you have so many coaching experiences, but I know, I know you, you hooped it up as well. So I wanted to give a space to talk about a game winning shot or, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> or a cool moment in a game that you, uh, you personally got to experience uh, as a player. Uh, not a whole lot of those. Like I said, I ran out of talent pretty early on. I was lucky to be, you know, I could always really shoot, but I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't become a better player until after I was done playing and really started to learn the game. But, um, I mean, that's tough as a player. Uh, I'd have to, to revert back to. Kind of like a wreck, like a wreck story or <laughs> live story. <laughs> story uh, coming in, school some kids. Oh, man. <laughs> I had a game-winning assist when I was a player in high school. Hey. Passed it to, to one of our teammates. Oh, shout out to Robert Dials, Rob D. <laughs> uh, I think he banked in a three um, to win us a game one time. I think we were sophomores in high school. Who was it against? Uh, I don't even remember. Maybe like one of the, it's probably one of the side schools. The cyber schools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, that was a long time ago. <laughs> those cyber, It got intense with those cyber schools that he, yes, that he's, the Houston area. So yes, the, the, the high school basketball arena does not get enough credit for how, rowdy they they can yeah. get <laughs> no question especially the high level teams man the i remember going i've been to obviously now recruiting for sfa some too going into some of those high school playoff games and man they're intense 
they're pretty yeah. cool moments. Um, <laughs> yeah, those student sections don't get don't get the credit they deserve. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, but go, going back to your question, uh, not being, I won't revert back to a player. <laughs> All right. but, uh, but some cool moments. I think I've been awarded opportunities to travel to some really cool places. Uh, and it's kind of kind of maybe sound weird, but um, one of the trips we took in Houston was to China. And getting to see the Great Wall of China was, you know, that's a cool moment. Um, those kind of life, once in a lifetime type of experiences outside of basketball. Um, you know, I, I did an athletes in action tour when I was at AM and I got to go to Lithuania and Latvia. Um, and, you know, just being able to go do some of that stuff and travel and see things, um, going to all the different cities around the NBA. You know, it's being able to travel um, is is a reward in and of itself and pretty cool. It helps me to be, I don't, I try, I will say this, this business keeps you very humble. So to be considered like a cool person or whatever, uh, I kind of, you got to remind yourself like this business humbles you real <laughs> quick. You can't get too big for your britches. Um, but right. being able to travel is, is, is pretty cool. I love sharing those types of stories too. So very cool. Very cool. And last one for you. What is the last thing, big or small, that brought you joy? Uh, day in and day out, it's my family, my wife, my girls. Uh, they bring me joy every day. And that's a cool thing that I, you know, for me, being a basketball, again, I think I'm, my mentality is always kind of just maintain an even level, even keel. Can't get too high, can't get too low. Uh, but even I'm able to leave a lot of that stuff at work after a bad loss or whatever, but still coming home and seeing the smiles on my girls' faces, getting a, a hug and a kiss from my wife. I mean, that's true for me. That's true joy. Uh, and they bring me, bring me joy every day, laughter every day. I was with my girls this morning. They were playing outside. Like that's, a, that's, that's what brings me joy, man, to be honest with you. That is awesome. That was the perfect, perfect note to, to end on. So uh, Mitchell, um, these are great. I honestly, I had like a hundred more questions, <laughs> questions I could, I could have asked, but I uh, can't, yeah, I can't make this a, a three hour podcast. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, sorry if I got a little long winded, uh, no, not at all. It was, no, having on. no, that was amazing. Those are some amazing stories, amazing experiences. And thank you for, uh, letting me and uh, hopefully letting listeners uh, get to be, get to be a part of this. So, uh, shout Another shout out to a uh, class of 03 at Consol. Um, an <laughs> another, <laughs> another one about, uh, about to drop y'all's away. <laughs> so yeah, uh, well, well, it's, it's tough to follow up shredder though. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a tough, uh, I had some friends that were like, if you don't bring up O3 click with, with Chase, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> listening. It's that it, uh, episode didn't, didn't happen. So I had, uh, yeah, that was like first priority <laughs> there, <laughs> there. So, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks again, uh, for coming on. Um, yeah, this was, this is awesome and enjoy, enjoy North Northern Idaho, the non yeah. non potato, non-potato region <laughs> uh the night the nice part so enjoy it and just best best of luck uh the rest the rest of the way on your coaching journey appreciate it appreciate you having me all right thanks mitchell i'll talk to you soon yep all right later